I appreciate your work, Dave, educating us in new hymns. And Rose, you're accepting that challenge as well. Thank you. Several weeks ago, we studied the rich young ruler, and we learned that the key to entering the kingdom of God is to receive it with childlike trust. Last week, we saw in Judas Iscariot the danger of self-deception. He believed that he was saved even though he wasn't trusting the Lord and he wasn't obeying the Lord. This week, uh, we have a challenge in Pontius Pilate. We're going to study Pilate. Who was Pilate? Tiberius Caesar appointed him governor over Judah in 26 AD. That was about the same time that John the Baptist began his preaching on repentance. Pilate was Caesar's representative to Judah. He enforced Roman law as a conqueror over the conquered. Understandably, the Jews hated him as head of the government. He was responsible for financial administration, for collection of taxes, but also for sentencing of crimes that deserve death. Pilate's character, Unger in his Bible dictionary says, Pilate was destitute, that, that is, he was, um, uh, he was poor, he, he had nothing of any fixed principles, and having no aim but office and influence, he did what was right only when it did not interfere with his selfish aims and purposes. Not the kind of a fellow you'd like for a neighbor. With his Roman authority, backed by a garrison full of Roman soldiers, six times in his confrontation with the Jews, he maintained the innocence of the Lord Jesus, and then he crucified him. What motivated this man to do such a a horrible thing, so inconsistent a thing? That's what we want to investigate uh, this morning. Last week, we saw Judas betray Jesus to the chief priests. That night, a multitude arrested Jesus and brought him before the, uh, the Sanhedrin in the, the house of the, uh, the high priest with religious charges. It was a religious trial. Day was breaking. Morning was dawning as the religious leaders spitefully condemned Jesus of blasphemy. But they took him to Pilate for sentencing. And as we pick up in John 18, we see Jesus before Pilate for a first interview. John chapter 18. Matthew inserts this uh, in his narrative. We're going to be switching back and forth among the, uh, the Gospels, so... Uh, we'd make money today as uh, bookmark distributors. Uh, we want you to, to flip back and forth uh, in the Gospels. But um, in Matthew 27, uh, he records that when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. 
So that's where we pick up in John 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Pilate, we can understand, uh, was impatient with the Jews. Hearing accusations by the Jews against Jesus was not on Pilate's agenda for that day. At best, it was a huge inconvenience. And the Jews were arrogant and pompous and presumptuous in their response. Pilate simply asked, what accusation do you bring against this man? Why is he here? And they answered, "Um, if he weren't an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Um, Pilate, can't you, can't you see? Luke adds to the content, to the substance of the Jews' accusations. He says in, in chapter 23, Then the whole multitude of them arose and led Jesus to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. The Jews were smart enough to realize that they were not going to get a sentence of death for a religious crime. It didn't matter to Rome. So they would accuse Jesus before Pilate of um, subverting the nation, of, uh, uh, of working against the Roman government, refusing uh, to pay taxes and claiming himself to be a king. The Lord's posture, we read also in Matthew 27, Jesus stood before the governor. Jesus stood before the governor. It was not one of pride or defiance, but the Lord Jesus calmly stood in submission and respect before Pilate, the governor. Pilate attempted to dismiss the case, starting at verse 31. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. The Jews argued they could not carry out the death penalty against Jesus, and they expected Pilate to do so. What was the Lord Jesus saying, which he spoke in verse 32? Well, the Lord had predicted back in Matthew 20 that he would be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. And he had indicated repeatedly through, uh, through his ministry that he would be lifted up. The Son of Man would be lifted up, signifying that uh, he would die death on a cross. These prophecies uh, in the Psalms, for example, would not have made sense to, uh, to a Hebrew um, a thousand years before uh, Rome had taken over Palestine. 
And these Jews are in unwitting, unwittingly, unknowingly fulfilling the Lord's prophecy by taking him to Pilate for sentencing and execution. They were marching right in step with uh, the father's um, desires for his son. Any Jew guilty of blasphemy under the Levitical law would be stoned to death. But because of the restrictions under Rome, they would have to convince Pilate to sign an execution against the Lord. Verse 33, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause... I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Pilate hated the Jews. Their religious scruples caused him frequent trouble, like bringing Jesus to the praetorium and not going inside because they wanted to eat the feast of the Passover. It was so inconsistent in, uh, um, in Pilate's mind and rationally, why, uh, why should they do so? I find no fault in him. From the very beginning... Pilate was distracted by two feelings, a fear of offending the Jews and the personal conviction that this man before him was innocent. The Lord's response in verse 33 to Pilate's question, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? The Lord Jesus is saying, this charge that you have against me, is it, um, uh, is it a charge from your personal experience or are you just carrying this charge in from the Jews outside? Pilate responded with real contempt, am I a Jew? He was busy with more important things than local Jewish problems. But he admitted in his answer that his charge was from the Jews. Jesus confessed that he was a king, but not the kind of king that the Jews accused him of. His kingdom was not of this world, not with worldly authority, not with worldly goals and ambitions. Pilate referred to Jesus in verse 29 as this man. And in my days of doubting, I struggled with the historicity, the existence of Jesus, even as a man. 
So one day I walked uh, upstairs to my parents' Encyclopedia, Brita Encyclopedia Britannica. It's like Wikipedia, only in book form. <laughs> and I pulled the volume out that began the subjects starting with J, and I opened to Jesus Christ. And there, page after page, were the works and the life of Jesus Christ in an encyclopedia. And I thought to myself, if a secular document is that committed to presenting facts about Jesus, how much more should I trust the Bible that tells of the, the life, the work, the ministry of the Lord Jesus? Jesus, this man. And on that basis, it was easy for me to accept him as king because if he existed as a man and he taught and he was true, he claimed a kingdom. So yes, he is a king. Jesus further revealed to Pilate in verse 37, he said, for this cause I was born, for this cause I have come into the world to testify, to bear witness to the truth. Jesus came into the world. That must have clued Pilate that uh, there was something different about the Lord Jesus. He wasn't just born, he came into the world. But he did so with a mission, with a purpose, and that was to proclaim the truth. Truth about himself. Truth about his Father, truth about the Holy Spirit, about salvation, about sin, about hell and heaven. Everyone who is on the side of truth hears his voice. That's astounding. Everyone who is of the truth recognizes that Jesus' words are authoritative, that they come from none other than God Himself. There's an application for us today. When you open this book and you read His words, do you hear the voice of Jesus? Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Is the Bible authoritative? Is it compelling? Is it commanding you? Are you willing to take the stand against yourself and join God in admitting that I am unworthy of His favor? I don't deserve heaven. I deserve eternal punishment instead. I have offended Him and I need a Savior. Are you willing to take that stand? Jesus says so. Do you believe it? Everyone who is on the side of truth admits that. Pilate, are you of the truth? Do you hear my voice, Pilate? Pilate should have thrown himself at the feet of truth incarnate and worshipped him. Instead, in verse 38, he walks away. To the Jews, he announced the innocence of Jesus. 
but he rejected Jesus' claim as the faithful witness to the truth. We call it faint praise. And while it seems to be uh, uh, praise of the Lord that he was innocent, Pilate's confession fell woefully short. We're not just talking about innocence. We're talking about God revealing truth and us submitting to that truth. Amazing thing here in, in, um, in Pilate's life, in these proceedings, Jesus loved Pilate. Pilate, his appointed executioner, Jesus sought to free Pilate from the penalty of death. Pilate was proclaiming Jesus' innocence, trying to free him from the hands of these murderous Jews. Jesus was trying to free Pilate from the penalty of death. But until Pilate recognized Jesus for who he was, there could be no communication of the gospel. Without admitting his need, there could be no relief for Pilate. The Jews' response to Pilate's announcement in verse 38, I find uh, no fault in him at all. Luke says they were the more fierce, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Ah, Pilate thought beginning from Galilee. Though Pilate was unable to dismiss the issue, perhaps he could dodge it. If Jesus were uh, from Galilee, Herod is in town, and he has jurisdiction over Galilee. Let's send the problem to Herod. Pilate sent Jesus to Herod, who was glad to see Jesus. He wanted to be thrilled with entertainment and the excitement of seeing a miracle. Jesus' response to Herod was silence, not a word. Through uh, Herod's questioning, perhaps interrogation, Jesus kept silent. Take note, please, Jesus' only words in the presence of Pilate during this whole time that we're talking about this morning were only to Pilate. There was nothing for the Jews. There was nothing for Herod. There was nothing for the Roman soldiers. His words were gentle and respectful. Jesus granted, as far as I could count, only three interviews with rulers. Can you name them? Nicodemus, the rich young ruler, and Pilate. The Lord Jesus granted only, three, only four interviews to Gentiles. Can you name them? The woman at the well the centurion whose servant was ill, the Syrophoenician woman who asked for deliverance 
of her daughter from demon possession and Pilate. It suggests the very personalness of the interview that Jesus had with Pilate one-on-one, even in the midst of a, uh, a mock trial and uh, coming execution. Jesus loved Pilate to the point of bearing his penalty on a cross that was waiting outside for him in just a few hours. Pilate was unable to dodge the issue. Herod sent Jesus back. Though he couldn't dismiss the issue, he couldn't dodge it, perhaps he might distract the Jews. Let's turn, please, to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 and verse 13. And then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. Pilate, instead of executing the Lord, would punish him and release him. But the Jews demanded death. They would not be satisfied with punishment no matter how painful that was. Pilate threw out a second distraction, aimed this time perhaps at the people instead of at the leaders. Turn, please, to Mark 15. And verse, um, verse 6. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as they had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release to you king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. Pilate addressed the multitude, but the leaders were prepared for this. In Matthew 27, Matthew 27, verse 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Life's biggest question, perhaps. What shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. 
two forces are at work in this exchange. The Jewish leaders recognized that Pilate was a crowd pleaser. His mission, his goal, was to please everyone. And in uh, Mark 15, in fact, we read that Pilate, willing, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. A second force at work was the power of the mob, a power of a, a group of people violently uh, united in one goal, one aim. Listen to the words of Luke as he described this crowd. Listen to the intensity. They were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. There was a voice in Pilate's conscience and it was speaking to him and it was saying to him, this man is innocent, release him, let him go. But there was a louder voice. It was the voice of the multitude yelling, crucify him. Which voice was louder? To which voice would Pilate listen? You know, these forces are at work in the year 2011 as well. Is my desire to please the crowd keeping me from Jesus? Is the voice of that crowd drowning the voice of conscience? Unable to distract the Jews, Pilate tried to disown the issue. In verse 23, I'm sorry, verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. The people answered and said, his blood be on us. And on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. I was talking with uh, my neighbor a few days ago, and he asked, uh, What's the lesson going to be this Sunday? And uh, I said, Pontius Pilate. And he, he did this. He said, He washed his hands, didn't he? I said, yeah, he did. He washed his hands and he crucified Jesus. A symbolic washing of hands would not cleanse him of the blood of Jesus and the history's gravest miscarriage of justice. Turn now to John 19. John 19 and verse 1. So Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. 
Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And he went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. We spoke earlier of Jesus, the man, and Jesus, the king. It was so good in our worship meeting to recognize the Lord this morning as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But he was confronted by yet another claim about Jesus. He made himself the Son of God. When he heard this, Pilate was the more afraid. We can imagine that Pilate understood because of Roman mythology or in spite of it, what it meant to have deity before him. What does it mean that Jesus made himself the Son of God? Simply that he proclaimed himself to be God, the Son. We have only to look at the reaction of the Jews to understand how large a statement, how infinitely large a statement that was for Jesus to make. Uh, Earlier in, in Jesus' ministry in John 10, Jews took up stones to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. From which the, for which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus proclaimed his deity to the Jews. The Jews reacted violently to that and turned that back to Jesus, said, we're going to stone you for what you just said. Wouldn't that have been the time for Jesus to have set the record straight if he were not God? At the trial the previous day, uh, Jesus' religious trial, the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, He is deserving of death. The claim of Jesus to be the Son of God is nothing less than that He is God. Why is it that the cults today stumble over this? They choke on it. the doctrine of Christ's deity, and they twist his words to mean somehow that he is simply a son among others of God. 
Pilate understood, and he was the more afraid. The Jews understood, and they accused him of blasphemy. But for, for Pilate, it proves what we have suspected all along as we followed his, his life, his career, that it's motivated. They are motivated by fear. The Lord Jesus wasn't the only one on trial. Pilate was on trial. The charge, not recognizing and reverencing God's own son, but willfully dismissing his claims because he feared man instead. Pilate regarded the things of men more than the things of God. The Jews saved their most potent weapon for the finish in verse 10. Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. To Pilate, political success was as the breath of life. This was the final blow to Pilate's battered commitment to justice. If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And bearing his cross, and he bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. Pilate sat down in his judgment seat. It was a final act. He gave up. He'd made his decision. He would deliver Jesus to be crucified. Pilate's yielding to this argument, this Caesar friendship, has its application today. One fellow, considering the claims of Christ may fear that he won't get the schooling or the job that he wants if he turns to Jesus. After all, what would my professors think? What would my boss think if I were uh, a follower of Jesus? Another may reject Christ out of fear that his wife would leave him. I could never accept Christ because of what my wife would do. She would leave me. And still a third knows that his friends would walk out on him if he accepted 
the Lord Jesus. Friendship with Caesar. Pilate was a living example of the verse in Proverbs, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Seven years later, this same Pilate was stripped of his authority by the Rome he sought to befriend. He was sent into a lonely exile. You're not Caesar's friend, the mob cried. But after delivering Jesus to execution, he was no one's friend. Pilate asked the age-old question that each of us must face. What shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? If we look to the world for the answer, it's always the same. Like the Jews said, let him be crucified. What will you do? With Jesus. He is risen. He is reigning. He's returning. Someday you will ask, What will he do with me? Let's pray. Lord, we consider your love and tenderness toward this man, Pilate, and how you long to bring him to yourself. But for fear of men, he rejected you and executed you on the cross of Calvary. Lord, we pray for those who fear men this morning, those who are afraid of what the world might think, that they would recognize the, the wrong reasoning of, of Pilate, how you have, um, you've made yourself so clearly known to us as not just a man, not uh, even king of kings, but the Son of God. Let that rest upon the consciences of of, um, men and women here that we might choose you this day. We ask in your blessed name, Lord Jesus. Amen.